the RTE Rugby Podcast, sponsored by Canterbury. See the new Irish men and women's rugby jerseys at canterbury.com. So this week we have another special podcast for you. We're going all the way down to New Zealand to check in with a former Irish international, four Ireland caps, as well as more than 160 appearances and eight major trophies for Leinster during his nine seasons at the club in Dublin. I'm talking, of course, about Michael Bent. Michael, thanks a million for joining me this morning. Yeah, no worries. Cheers for having me. So settle a bit of research for me. Are you are you actually retired? Uh, because we thought you were when you finished up with Leinster and then we saw you popping up in the Taranaki jersey over the summer as well. And you seem to have played a few games there. Have you have you firmly packed in the boots? Was that just a nice little a nice little way to see things off and round off the career? Yeah, yeah, this will be uh, just the last hurrah sort of thing, really. Um, the um, yeah, it's short season with Taranaki, and it's um, yeah pretty well wrapped up now. So um, yeah, I'm just enjoying the last uh, few games and running around, and um, yeah, I'll probably get involved with the um, club stuff here in Hara. But um, other than that, it'll be um, the end of it for me, I'd say. And was that was it something you'd planned when you? went back to New Zealand or did the arm get twisted to, to come out and play a few more games? I I had asked and um, just sort of seen what the possibility was. Um, it was, I think I finished up on 48 games for Taranaki. So um, I was always kind of thinking I wanted to get back and just uh, get to 50, which would just be two more. But um, uh, so, yeah, it was just a bit of a process. It wasn't uh, in it wasn't certain by any means. It was um, just talking to the coaches here and seeing where things were at, and then it all kind of fell in, into place. So I've um, oh, just been in, yeah, so enjoying playing a few more games with them, and um, things have been going well so far. So hopefully it carries on that way and uh, we can finish off strong. And I imagine that was a very nice way to, or it has been a very nice way of, of just rounding the whole thing off for you in terms of a, a career. Yeah, yeah, I I couldn't have asked for a better sort of wrap up with um with Leinster the way things went and um yeah just a a nice sort of you know it's probably a little bit um, lower key playing at this level here but um you know it's still a good competition and it's um, yeah for me it's a good way to just uh, finish up my career is um, finishing off with them and just um, ticking that last little box that I had in the back of my mind that I wanted to achieve. How long was the was the retirement plan in your head? Was it something that maybe you you weren't thinking about too much? Maybe until the the second half of last season, did you know going into last season this was going to be the last? How long was was that process working out for you? Uh, well, it took. I, I suppose the year before, I was kind of umming and ahhing, and like sort of every contract that comes along, I was sort of weighing up options and deciding what I wanted to do, but. Um, yeah, I suppose the year before I was starting to um, think it was nearing kind of that time and then um, I signed on for one more and um, I was still, I, I suppose I still felt a little bit undecided, you know, I, I thought this would probably be my last um, season, but um, I still sort of had in my mind that, you know, we'll just see how I feel, see what comes up. But um, I ended up having a... Um, chat with Leo probably fairly on in the in the year and um, at that stage I had made up my mind that it was probably going to be my last season so um, and I said that to him then and um, 
so he was well aware that that's where my my head was at and um so yeah from that point on I was just um enjoying the season and making the most of it what were the what were the factors that would have come into it for you because like we'll say for for the observer looking at us you obviously didn't have any serious injuries that were troubling you you know that wasn't a major factor to do with it you were you were playing consistently did, did you feel was it a case in training where where you felt like you were having to kind of put in the 120% to keep up with everyone doing 100% or did you just feel you know what it's nice to be able to actually go out while I'm still actually quite competitive uh, it, was, it was more of a family sort of thing like I've um got my little girl who's just turning four at the end of the month and um just had a little boy um he's just well he's eight months now so with the two of them it was um, just sort of playing on my mind a bit that it would be good to get back to New Zealand and have them around grand, grandparents and um that sort of thing there was um yeah like I was saying to you each time I was thinking about contracts and thinking about extending and whatever I was um, always a conversation with the family because um back here at home there's a family farm and um dad's been taking care of it and uh with a worker on as well um but yeah it was just that that sort of thing with um yeah the parents sort of wanting to take a step back and um yeah it was more the the timing for me to come in at that point and um get involved with the farm and um so yeah the longer i pushed that out the, the harder it would be to kind of get in so it was a, a bunch of different things but um yeah, it all it all just kind of felt like the right time. I was I was still enjoying the training and um and that side of it, but um yeah, I, I the way things finished up, I felt like I had a great season and it was um, kind of quite good to finish on a high. Yeah, it was, and like you were probably, I I don't want to say lucky because you were unlucky in a sense that you didn't get a a proper RDS send off, but you did get some fans into the ground that day, which, you know, I'd say for most of the season, you probably didn't think you were going to. It must have been nice to, God, at the very least, I don't know, was there a few hundred or maybe a couple of thousand people in the stadium that afternoon? Must have been nice to just kind of get that little bit of a tiny sense of normality before you before you signed off. Yeah, yeah. Like Like I said, it was um all things considered it couldn't have worked out better really it was um yeah last game and yeah I think it was 1300 that was um able to be there that day so it was um yeah it was just a pretty pretty perfect send-off you know if uh, all things being um if I could have had a a fully packed RDS that would have been the the best send-off I suppose but um yeah all things considered we've been playing in front of empty stadiums for um the entire season and um yeah, as it happened, the, we were able to get fans back in for that last one. So, um, yeah, it just all finished up pretty perfect. I think we had a, um, towards the end there, we were getting the, allowing to have the squad members to come along to the games. And I just, I remember those, like, the, you know, there's, you're going from a quiet stadium to just having um, the guys on the team, they're just sitting in the stands and cheering and yelling things. And that gave you just that little bit, bit of a boost. So then to... Um, yeah, go back to having, um, you know, thirteen hundred in the in the stand. There, it was, um, you know, that was pretty awesome. Yeah, I remember thinking uh, when the fans started coming back this year, I was most happy to be honest that I, I didn't have to hear James Lowe screaming for eighty minutes nonstop throughout yeah, every yeah. single game. Uh, it's funny yeah, you could you could, it, you, yeah. you could really you could really pick out. 
Yeah, you can really pick out uh, the, the individual players that were talking the most. And my God, he just would not stop for, for 80 minutes. I, <laughs> I presume he probably is like that even when there are fans in the in the stadium as well. We just it, it's just drowned out. But uh, on yeah. the pitch, on the pitch, you had a you had a good season to end things as well. Like you obviously got into the to the Pro 14 dream team. Was it was it nice to be able to finish up knowing that, you know, you were able to put in a, a pretty good season actually on the pitch and, you know, you weren't overstaying your welcome in any way? Oh yeah, yeah. It was um oh it was amazing, yeah. It was completely unexpected to to make that team. Like that was a that was a pretty cool um, you know, bit of an honor to be named in that. And um uh there was a couple of yeah, player of the months and things like that that popped up there as well. And um yeah, and you know, just the the way that the way things went, we um playing really well and um, enjoying rugby and yeah, it was just um, couldn't have asked for better really. Mm. And you were a, a hugely popular player by the time you, you finished up and like, obviously it was quite a, a different reaction. If you look back to, to when you arrived in Ireland, because you know, you were, the pressure was put on you straight away when you're, when you're thrown into the deep end of essentially off the plane into the international scene, like when you look back now as what kind of someone in your mid twenties coming across the to the other side of the world and you're thrown into the testing, did you did you feel a huge amount of pressure at the time? Um, no, not really at the time. I, I thought that I was at a good level, and I thought that um, you know I could I could come over and play well and um, and go all right, but. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the, I think it was probably the the scrummaging initially for me that um, I struggled with a little bit, and uh, you know, that is, for a prop, that's pretty important. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've I've learned a huge amount. Like, I, I think I've um, developed hugely as a player in my, in my time playing in um, in Ireland, and um, so you know, I, I think about for you know what I know now and. You know, wishing off, I could have had some of that, um, some of that knowledge back then. You know, and things could have uh, been very different. But um, so it was a shame to um, that it was a bit of a rough start. But um, also, you know, it's um, I guess some some guys they they have a great career early on and then start to fizzle out. So um, now I feel quite lucky to have finished playing good rugby and um, enjoying myself and um, not just sort of fading away and into the distance. And, you know, when, you know, it's been announced that you're coming over to to play for Leinster and there's obviously a few months wait while you're finishing up your season in New Zealand. Uh, when you get the call that says you're actually going to come straight into the Irish squad, uh, are, is part of you kind of going, oh, okay, <laughs> let's, let's roll with this or... Are you kind of thinking about it a lot? I, like, I, I imagine are you just in that kind of mid-20s bracket of you're obviously probably quite a confident professional player. You're kind of ready to take on any challenge, I imagine. Yeah, well, I was when I was 26 at the time and, um, you know, at that point I kind of felt like I was um, a little bit behind the behind the game, you know, like these guys, 20 year olds making the All Blacks and, um, and or, you know, into, into playing international rugby. And, you know, so at 26, I, you know, I thought I was 
um, easily old enough to be playing at that level and that, but um, all the same, it certainly came as a surprise because it was, um, I had in my mind I could come over and play at Leinster and um, maybe work my way into that, but um, to get that phone call and um, say that it'll be, um, yeah, I still remember that well, was it, you know, Declan, Declan Kidney gave me a call and um, he said, would you be interested in playing for Ireland? And I said, yeah, absolutely, you know, I'd love to play for Ireland. Um, you know, obviously a little bit uh, surprised by the phone call, but um, yeah, and he, he, even he knew that too, as well. And he made a comment about um, assuring me it wasn't a uh, prank call or something like that and that he was serious. And uh, um, so no, that was a pretty exciting, exciting moment. And um, yeah, playing my first cap and that, it was all all very exciting. And I really, in, uh, really enjoyed all that part of it. And I said, I don't look back and wish, it was different, you know. I don't. I didn't feel like I was thrown into the deep end, but um, the uh, yeah, it just didn't. It didn't pan out as um, as well as I had hoped, and um, initially, and then it was. Um, but I kept working hard and kept focused, and um, was pretty happy to be able to get back in in twenty fifteen and play another couple of caps. So. Um, yeah, like absolutely. I'm sure that was like a, a big thing to kind of go out and work your way back into the squad. But but at the time, like I know we would have spoken to to Jean Klein uh, a week or so ago and he was talking about how, you know, when he got called up to the Ireland squad in 2019, there was a huge amount of criticism of it. And he was talking about how it, it actually kind of affected his performances and he started to, to dislike a, uh, rugby a little bit. Obviously, there was a bit of a circus around... Uh, you being kind of brought straight in and at the time there weren't a lot of people too pleased about it. Did that criticism affect you in any way? Were were you hearing a lot of it or were you just kind of, you know, park in the mind and tunnel vision, focus on your own gig? Uh, like, yeah, it definitely affected me. I think there was, um, you know, I didn't, I tried not to look at it too much, but the odd time you, you know, you you pick up your phone and you'd, you um, just go in and see what is being said. And then, you know, the, the, when there's a bit of negative uh, comments and so on on there, and it might only be, um, you know, there might be a few that more that are okay with it than the ones that aren't. But um, you look at those comments and those, um, you do start to wonder what um, what everyone's thinking. And um, yeah, it can be a, um, yeah, a bit of a bad path to go down but um, no I definitely did think because you start to overthink things and I, I was thinking like I needed to correct this and correct that and you know maybe the solution was a little bit more simple than what I was thinking for um, the way I was playing but um, I think when I was playing my best rugby it was when I kind of decided I had no pressure on me there was um, and just to you know look for the ball and do whatever I saw fit in that in those moments whereas um, yeah early on I was um, yeah probably had a lot of just overthinking things and wanting to go out there and put in a good performance and or you know the best profit possible performance and sometimes what ended up happening was um, quite the opposite so um, yeah like every every performance has to be the best every performance has to prove a point and in the end, like, you know, you can't keep doing that every single week. You kind of, I imagine you're probably not playing, you're not playing the game you were playing maybe a year or so ago back in New Zealand where you were just going out and, you know, okay, this week we're playing 
Team X. Next week we're playing Team Y. You know, it's just one game after another. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, hundred percent. It was. Um, oh, you know, there's different aspects. You know, you, you go out there thinking you're going to um, do so much with your carry, do so much with your defence, and then if you go out there and miss a tackle first up, and um, you know, you, you feel like you're behind you and you're trying to chase things and then you end up making more mistakes. But I don't think like, um, you know, that side of the game, you know, I don't think it was that dramatically terrible, but it was, um, it just wasn't quite at the level I wanted it to be, you know, and probably the um, the level I needed it to be to push on and impress. Because by that stage, it was like, you couldn't, you couldn't do anything right. That's, you know, that's kind of how I felt it a, at a time there, it was like you. I feel like I go out and play reasonably well, but then there's, um, you know, it felt like the safe. There'd be people that it felt like the safe thing to do was to criticise me and um, give me a hard time. So, you know, early on, but that's um, and that kind, you know, that felt like that hung around for a number of years, which was disappointing. But um, um, yeah, towards the end there, it was yeah. Um, I don't think there was too much negative stuff floating around. It was all very positive. So that was, um, you know, in contrast, that was a, a, a far better. Absolutely. At, wh- at what point on the pitch did you feel things started to take a turn for the better and you started to, to move? I know, obviously, we'll, we'll get to 2015 when you actually get some more Irish caps. But at what point between between kind of 2013 and 2015 did you feel that, OK, things are really kind of moving now, you're into the groove and, and into the consistency. Um, it was probably it was probably even after um, after that 2015 um, because at that point, up until that point, I was still trying to play both sides of the scrum mm. um, because for that World Cup, I thought I was uh, put myself in there as the guy that could play both sides. You know, and I th- um, I thought that being able to play that role. Uh, would get me that spot but um, when that didn't quite work, you know didn't work out that way um, I thought well what's the point in covering both because it is quite hard to do that to cover both sides and um, you end up being okay um, but you're not really um, nailing your role because you, you know you, you've got sort of opposing things in your head and um, you're not really perfecting either so um, I think when I decided to just stick to tight head and just concentrate on that and really um, work on that and get that exactly right is when um, things started to go better for me. And um, but and yeah, I mean that would probably be another season or so before I really got my scrummaging. Um, perfect on the tight head side and um yeah started going well after that yeah it's funny i was going to ask which did you prefer and and how you kind of ended up doing both and then going back to tight head because i was looking through it and you probably would have ended up playing a lot more at loose head than in my head i probably would have realized like i actually started even counting up individual games over the course of a few seasons it was between uh the kind of 2013 14 through to the 2015 16 season like you, you played most of your rugby. I think it was probably about three quarters of the games for Leinster at the very least ended up being being at loose head. And then it was pretty much from that 26 to summer of 2016, it's back to tight head. And I don't think you left that either the, the three or 18 jersey. 
until you finished up with Leinster. Uh, you probably kind of half answered it there, but was it something that you specifically wanted to get back to doing or was it kind of floated to you by, uh, you know, by coaches at the time that they wanted you to focus on one more than the other? Um, no, I think it was more something that I, I drove myself because, and it might have even it might have been as well that there was a couple of um, good young lucids that were coming through, and there was, um, you know, probably a, not as many tight heads. So it was, you know, that that situation might have been easier just to stick to that side as well. So there might not have been as much of a push because I think. Um, you know, there's guys like Peter Dooley and Ed Byrne and and, uh, and that coming through. So the Lucid, the numbers for Lucid was pretty good. So, um, but yeah, no, I did come over as a tight head and that was my plan to kind of stick there. But I had been uh, chopping and changing between loose and tight. And um, yeah, at the time I was happy to do so as well. Like I enjoyed playing both. And, um, but what ended up happening was I was moving into the... Um, that 13, 14 season, we had a, we were doing some preseason training and stuff. I ended up getting kind of closed down on my neck and I lost a lot of strength um, down my right hand side. So, um, you know, for a tight head, when you have that right hand side, you know, you need to be very strong with your bind and everything. So I'd lost a lot of that. So then there was um, the idea was, you know, move across to Lucid because then I don't, I've still got, I've got that strength in my left arm for the binding and so on. Just sort of while that was coming right, but I put in some good performances at Lucid, and um, yeah, like you said, ended up playing a lot of rugby there. And was there ever a point where you thought I might actually just I might actually just stick here at Lucid, or did you always want to to eventually go back to tight head? Yeah, I wanted to. I always had it in my mind. I wanted to play tight head. It was, um, and I suppose yeah, at the time I was a better Lucid's, you know, better scrummager at Lucid, but. Um, um yeah even i suppose one once my arm started to come right then i did start chopping and changing a bit and going between the two particularly in training i do you know move between the two in training a lot and um yeah probably played a good bit more at lucid but um i think yeah i i did want to play both and i th- it was probably up until tw- yeah after that 2015 um, point that I decided that playing both wasn't really serving me very well and um, I'd be better off just sticking to one and that was going to be um, just yeah easier for me clear my head a bit of, from a bit of clutter and um, probably make me a better player. <laughs> when you say clear your head of a bit of clutter, like is that just kind of having the thought process of two very technical positions going on at the same time? Yeah, well, like, as soon as you change over, you're kind of effectively doing the opposite of what you were doing on the other side. But it's not only that, it's the um, the plays that you've got to be aware of. And a lot of guys do, you know, cover different positions and have all the different um, roles in their head of what they've got to do in those different positions. But, um, you know, that is part of the clutter with loose head and tight head. You're, you're doing different roles in the lineouts and different um, roles with, when... Um, you're running through a play, so sticking to one is, you know, is you've got less to think about. And have you been giving Key and Healy tips over the last few months at all? How have I, I have you have you seen much of 
of their experiment with with Healy back uh, over us over at tight head and now back at loose head actually as well for the last couple of weeks so he's doing what you were doing he's he's going back and forth have you have you told him yeah. that you know don't get too high on yourself you were the pioneer on this you know you were doing this a few years ago before it was popular no well i haven't i haven't given him any tips at all but um i have been um having a look and uh in fairness to him he isn't i you know he never did i don't think he was ever at tight head in training um in the years that i've been there and um credit to him because he's he pretty much coming out and he's destroying it tight head so um i think it's been a bit of a success as uh as far as putting him across there but I'd actually um, wouldn't mind seeing a bit more of them there, but you know that's probably. And I'm sure. Yeah, and I'm sure we will over the course of the season. I think even Leo Cullen himself actually said that Healy volunteered to do it. They were looking for someone over the summer to to fill in a little bit throughout the season, and you know at the ripe old age of 33, 34, he put his hand up for it. But it, is it something we might see a little bit more of just in general over the next few years? Because probably in. In the last 10 years, it became so specialized where there was essentially nobody at the professional level that was, you know, playing tight hand, loose head on a, on a regular basis. It was one or the other. And mm. are we kind of getting back to the stage now where we are seeing a few more like we have this at Leinster? It was fairly obvious during the Lions tour during the summer as well, where South Africa, Trevor and Yekanya come on and absolutely destroy players one week at loose head. And then the following week, he comes off the bench at tight head and he was unbelievable as well. Is is it something that we might actually see a little bit more of going down the line, just to be a point of difference for a few more players? I don't know. I don't really think it's necessary because you've got, you, uh, in the past, it was um, quite an advantage if you could do that because you could only have one prop on the bench. So if you were a guy that were good at both sides, then um, you know, you're pretty valuable. Whereas now you can carry two props on the bench. So um there's not as much of a need for it, but um, I mean, it certainly makes, it certainly fixes a few headaches for a coach if he's got a guy that can um, go between the two. Um, so yeah, I don't really think it's necessary, but um, you know, a handy thing for a guy to ha have up his sleeve if he can do it. But like I said, if for a younger younger guy, um, it's tough to do. A guy like um, you know Church, he's you know, pretty seasoned uh, professional. So he's um, and you know he's a bloody he's a very good um, scrummager. So he probably has a lot of he knows exactly what he's trying to do to a, a, a tight head to upset him. So then when he comes across the tight head, he knows what um, he's going to do to counter it. But um, yeah, for the most part, it just looks to me like he's just using brute strength and just um, extending his legs and powering through the opposition scrum. So that seems to be working quite well. Yeah, I think that's probably the say. If in doubt, just just use your power and go for it. Is probably the the safe way of doing it. Uh, like yeah. when when you were playing, and as you said, you wanted to kind of get back to tight head. Was there like, did you just feel more comfortable in that position? Did you feel maybe it was that when you were at your best at loose head and your best at tight head? you were a better as a tight head. Was that the kind of logic of it? Um, I don't know. It was just it was just something that, I guess, just a challenge for me. It wasn't something that I quite nailed, and I really just wanted to do that. Um, and, 
yeah, like I said at the time with Leinster, there was um, a good crop of lucid props coming through. So um, yeah, just sticking to sticking to tight head, it, it was something that I wanted to do, and it was kind of as far as the uh, numbers in the squad worked out, it um, it was better that way anyway. So um, I think the odd the odd opportunity came up where they were kind of looking if there was. Um, lucids around but I, I you know I was kind of at the point where I said I wasn't particularly interested in going back to lucid if um, when those that question was kind of floated to me but um, you know I guess push to, push come to shove like you if you get if the, the thing is to play rugby and um, you're going to do it in a position you don't want to particularly want to play you're probably just going to jump in that position but um, yeah it was certainly my pre preference at that point to not be the guy who's continually trying to um, cover both, but just be the, um, just be good at that one side. Speaking to you off air just before this, you you spoke about you know you're back you know on the the family farm and stuff like that. Is is that where the future lies for you? It's not you're not going to move into coaching or anything like that. The the family farm is where the future lies. Yeah, for the time being, um, yeah, I'm back. Milking some cows and uh, I was doing a bit of, yeah, drenching some calves today and um, sort of, yeah, there's a bit of some good physical work in that and it's uh, quite enjoyable. So um, that's what I'm doing at the moment. But I, like I said to you as well, I'd probably look to um, get involved with the local club here and um, whether I play a bit or just, um, I'd certainly be looking to um, help young props um, that are here and um, offer some guidance to them if, if you know because I'm, I'm sure I can um, add a bit in that department and um, yeah whether I pursue coaching or not is uh, it all depends on that I guess I'll take that as a sort of a tester and if I enjoy that and then I'll you know if more things come along I don't yeah like I said I don't know if I'll necessarily pursue it but if it um, if things head in that direction then that could be good as well. Yeah, and so I, I heard you mention something along those lines in one of your kind of last media days with Leinster, where you spoke about how one of the things you enjoyed in the last few years was maybe when all those international players were away and you could have a bit of time with some of the younger props and kind of, you know, give them the small little secrets and the small little details on improving the, you know, the really fine parts of a scrum technique is it's always coming like the front rows, particularly at professional level. There's, there's, there's a real cult kind of aspect about it with all these little small little trade secrets and stuff like that. Isn't there? Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's, oh, there's just, um, yeah, there is a lot to know. There's, um, because you, yeah, you can, you can think you've, there, there are, you can't have part of it, aspects of it, um, correct and doing it quite well, but there's, um, there's also, you know, there's a mindset that you need to have to, um, you know, be wanting to take guys on and, and that sort of thing as well. So it's, yeah, there's, there's a lot to think about. And like, I think the, um, in my head, the easiest thing to do is when I, whenever I'm coaching someone is to, um, rather than to go out there and start telling them, do this, do that, do that, you know, ask them what they're, what they're struggling with because, um, yeah, there's so many aspects to it, so there's, um, you need to kind of narrow it down and um, work on the little bits. And yeah, it's, it can be a slow process to get it right, but um, 
you know, it is quite satisfying as well to see a guy who's been struggling with something and offer him a few few tips and then he tries it and he says, oh, you know, that's a, that's a lot better, you know, thanks a lot sort of thing. So it's good to um, get that feedback from guys and that sort of, well, as a player as well, that kind of reassures you that um, the way that you're thinking is is correct when you offer something to someone and they use it and they, they agree that that's actually a far better way of operating. So, um, yeah, that's good So. All right. Well, listen, Michael, it's been a, a pleasure speaking to you and the, the very best of luck with what's left of the rugby and getting back out on the pitch and working at the grassroots level again. And best of luck on the farm. Thanks a million for speaking to us the, this evening. Yeah, no trouble. Thanks a lot. The RTE Rugby Podcast, sponsored by Canterbury. See the new Irish men and women's rugby jerseys at canterbury.com.